Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. And as the title said, I want to focus on our duty to evangelism. And if we look here in Matthew 28 and verse 18... It says that Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So here we are, brethren, we find ourselves at the end of the age, and Christ has promised to be with his church. But he has enjoined on us a duty to teach what we know to all nations. And we have in our roadmap a mission statement which says this, to work locally, to preach the gospel to all nations, as, we, as it says here in Matthew 28, and to prepare God's people for marriage to Jesus Christ. So embedded in that statement is the fulfillment of this instruction, this command from Christ, to make disciples of all nations. But we are saying here that our mission is to work locally. We, we don't have the resources to be flying all over the world preaching the gospel. But we will work locally to, make, or to preach the gospel to all nations. And unfortunately, Toronto and the, the Golden Horseshoe is such that all nations are here. And so we can reach all nations, even though we're working locally. Last week, we had a town hall discussion, and I appreciated the participation of everyone. And we certainly came away with some ideas and some approaches that we can take in terms of fulfilling our duty toward evangelism. I want to look at the scripture that was read earlier by Andrew, if you could turn to Acts 2, to explore how we can fulfill this duty. Acts 2, and look at verse 46. It says, Day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. So they lived in such close proximity that they could actually be together every single day. Uh, we don't have that luxury, but we're not that far apart. Uh, we are able to meet weekly on the Sabbath, which is great. We are also going to explore, uh, shortly after the feast, uh, a midweek uh, of, uh, opportunity for us to assemble. And uh, we will do that, uh, hopefully in person, but also we might make use of technology as long as the power uh, holds up. Uh, but we want to make sure that we do have opportunities to get together. Here they were getting together day by day, attending to the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Notice this, praising God, having favor with all the people. And God has certainly given us a lot of favor. Even this hall that we have has come by the favor that God has given us. And he told us in Matthew 28 that all authority is given unto him. And so he can turn men's hearts to give us favor. And here they have favor with all the people. And then this is what I want to zero in on. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Or I think the King James says, such as should be saved. So we know from John 6:44 that no one can come to the Father unless, or no one can come to Christ unless the Father who sent Christ attracts him. So it's the Father's work. We have a part to play in it, but we don't choose who should be added to our number. It's the Lord who chooses, and he knows who he wants to attract. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That doesn't mean that we have nothing to do. God does his part, but there's a part that we must fulfill. And that's what I want to explore today. And if we just look up, beginning in verse 41... And let's look at what the early church did so that we can follow their example. Beginning in verse 41, 
So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day, this is the day of Pentecost, the founding of the church, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So in a single day, in a single moment, God added such as should be saved. And in this case, it was 3,000 souls in one day. Not impossible for him to uh, repeat again in these end times. Then verse 42. So 3,000 souls were added to the church. What did they do? They devoted themselves. This is what they did. This was their part. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it's this four-point formula that I think captures our responsibility. What is it that we must do with respect to evangelism? Let's follow the example of the early church. And, and what I want to do in this sermon, then, is go through each of these four points. I'm going to go through them individually, but I'm afraid of doing that. And here's why. Because if I go through them individually, as I'm going to, we can think of them as four parts of a whole. And that's not how we should think of them. These are not parts of a whole. These are parts as a whole. There's a difference between parts of a whole and parts as a whole. In other words, no part really has value by itself. Each part depends on the presence of the other parts. And it's that mix of the parts that makes the whole. So we'll go through it individually, but I want to emphasize that no one part stands alone. They stand, they, they stand together, they're blended together, and it's our responsibility to fulfill all four. The word here, devoted, it's the word praskar Teruntes, Proskar Teruntes, and it means, uh, King James translates it steadfastly. How is it in King James? Someone have King James? Continued steadfastly. That's a very good translation. Here it says devoted. The word means to persevere, to continue steadfastly in anything, to give constant attention to a thing. So something is so important that you give constant attention to it. You never let it off your mind. To persist in the siege. To adhere to one. To be one's adherent. To be devoted or constant to one. And then, to be steadfastly attentive unto. To give unremitting care to a thing. So before we look at the four parts as a whole, Let's understand that the early church, so there were the disciples, uh, and then 3,000 more souls were added, and the whole body was completely unremitting in their attention to this four-part system. And if we are going to be successful, if we are going to win God's favor, and have God give us favor with mankind, so that those whom God is attracting can be added to our number, we have to be equally devoted to this four-part system. So let's really think about this uh, Proskar Teruntes, uh, this complete devotion, complete commitment, this, this unremitting attachment. Think of it as hanging, uh, a helicopter has given us a ladder, a rescue helicopter, and below us is, is death. And we have to hang on to this rope to get to safety. It's, it's that kind of grip that we must have on these four points. But if we have the right vision, the right understanding, that's the level of commitment that we're, that we're looking for, that God is looking for here. Okay, the first point, and notice it comes first, is doctrine. They, they continue steadfastly in doctrine or teaching. And I think here uh, the English Standard Version uses the word teaching. I think that's the better translation. In, in Greek it's the dake ton apostolon, the teaching of the apostles. So they, they were steadfast, they were committed to the teaching of the apostles. And I think when we say doctrine, we, we, we narrow 
what the Greek implies. So when we think doctrine, we think of our statement of beliefs. That's our doctrine. Whereas the teaching of the apostles goes beyond what we believe. It, it touches how we behave. And we, a couple of weeks ago, I believe, we looked at Matthew 18. And we looked at what an impossible instruction this is. That when, our, when a brother or sister sins against us, rather than retaliate, we put on the mind of Christ and we seek to save that person from themselves. And this is, this is an impossible instruction when you've been hurt, when you've been damaged by sin, to respond in this way. But that's the instruction that came from the apostles. That's the instruction that came from Christ. And it's very difficult for us to do that. In fact, look at Matthew 13. While we're doing that, I wonder if I could just ask somebody for some water. We could do that. Matthew 13, he covers this uh, power, several parables, but in beginning in verse 37, he decodes one of the parables. And, and think of the instruction in Matthew 18, what an impossible instruction it is for us to live out without God's Holy Spirit. And now look at Matthew 13, verse 37, where he decodes one of his proverbs, he, or parables. He answered, The one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, the time we're living in now, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So we think of that again, Matthew 18, thank you. We think of again Matthew 18, where there are causes of offense. And he says that you know, offenses must come but woe unto the, one, unto the one through whom they come into the church. And here Christ is saying that the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So the wheat and the tear grow together, but there will come a time when there will be a separation. And the tares who cause offense, who cause sin, will be thrown into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is a very, very serious endeavor. And the teaching is not just our beliefs. The doctrine is not just our beliefs. It has to do with our behavior. And, and the early church was completely committed to obeying the didache of the apostolon, the apostles, the teaching of the apostles. Look at... Romans 12. And I think the reason that doctrine is listed first is because whatever goes in here impacts everything else. If we don't see things the way God does, then we can't behave the way he wants us to. So doctrine must be first. The teaching must be first. Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world. So, so this world is going on its course, and, 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 and it has the, everyone has conformed. It's almost like there's one worldwide culture that everybody shares. That the, the whole world shares the same values, regardless of country, regardless of age. The whole world has the same values. We now must not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the renewal of the mind. This is teaching. The teaching must get into our mind and renew it. And that's what transforms us. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
And then just flip forward to chapter 16 of Romans. Again, we're looking at the importance of doctrine. And in verse 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, I'm begging you, please, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. So the apostles taught this doctrine, and yet there are these, these people who are behaving in contradiction to the doctrine which the apostles taught. Watch out for them. Watch out for them. We're, we, if, if we have the teaching in our head and in our spirits, we don't look for division. We're not divisive people. If we have the true doctrine, we're for unity. We're for how we can bond together, not division. So there are going to be those who will come among us and cause divisions and create obstacles. This is contrary to the teaching, the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. This is not our way. We're just going to step, give them a wide berth. First Timothy 1. So here in Romans we saw people who are behaving in a way that is contrary to the doctrine. So, so we have to learn to discern. So Romans 12, 2 said that we would, through testing, we may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we should now, as mature Christians, see anybody who causes division, that this is contrary to true doctrine. Okay. Now in 1 Timothy 1, we don't just see behavior which is contrary to true doctrine, we see something else. 1 Timothy 1. Verse 3, Paul speaking to Timothy. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia. So he's leaving Timothy in Ephesus, and he's on his way to Macedonia. You remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves, same word that we looked at earlier, devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So true doctrine promotes the stewardship that's from God. False doctrine promotes myths and speculations and endless genealogies. So there are people who preach, there are people who behave in ways that contradict true doctrine, and there are people who preach false doctrine. And Paul's command to Timothy was to stay in Ephesus and command certain people. Paul knew who they were not to teach false doctrine. And so we have to have the same sensitivity to truth. Not just uh, doctrine as in statement of beliefs, but doctrine also in terms of behavior. That, that if there are people who are promoting division of any kind in the church, this is false doctrine. And anything that contradicts the, the true belief system that we know we have. And, and let's not be naive that just because I stand up here that that means that I'm going to preach the truth. It doesn't. That's why we have Speaker's Corner. So that you as mature Christians can question what you've heard, as the Bereans did. So just standing up here and preaching doesn't make me a teacher of truth. The Word is what makes me a preacher of truth. And we have to recognize that there are those amongst us that will preach false doctrine. And we have to stop it. How important is this, brethren? Just uh, go forward to chapter 4 of First Timothy. See, how important is it that we guard our doctrine, that we guard this teaching? First Timothy 4 and verse 15. <clears throat> verse 15. Keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a very close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So watch yourself, watch your conduct, also watch the teaching. This is how important this is. Persist in this. That's again what we saw the brethren doing in Acts 2.42, devoting themselves to it, hanging on to it. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself 
and your hearers. This is how important true doctrine is. That by watching myself and persisting in true doctrine, that I will both save myself and those who hear me. The corollary of this is that if I teach false doctrine, not only will I shipwreck myself, I will shipwreck those who hear me. Because everything starts with doctrine. Everything starts with the the concepts that we hold in our mind. And if we get false teaching in our mind, we lose everything. So we really have to have this passionate commitment to persisting in the teaching of the apostles, which we have here. Final scripture I want to cover on this topic is in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. And verse 17 says this. Let the elders, and notice that it's plural. It's not let the elder. It's let the elders. There's a plurality of eldership. So let those elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And, And there is a spirit in the church where you will speak to certain brethren and you will detect a despising of the ministry. You will detect in their conversation uh, a degradation of the ministry. This is not Christianity. This spirit does not come from Christ. Christians give honor. We give honor to each other and we give double honor to the elders who rule well. This is the spirit of Christianity. So as we're fellowshipping with each other, and we hear brethren having disdain for the ministry, we need to stop that and say, that's not Christianity. Because they are serving us, they are working, laboring to feed us. Why would we bite the hand that feeds us? It It doesn't make sense. So let the elders, plural, who rule well, and, and there is an instruction as the uh, Timothy and uh, Titus are to pick elders to find those who can rule their households well. Because if they can't manage their own home, how can they manage the household of God? So this is a real critical requirement that the elders can rule well. Because the church will be blessed if we have an eldership that can rule well. So let them be considered worthy of double honor. Let's honor each other, but let's give our elders double honor. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Do you get a sense that this might be important? That preaching and teaching might be something that's critical to our spiritual health? So that those who labor, so those who are elders, we give double honor to. But we give especially double honor to those who are laboring in the word. The logos and the didescalia. Sorry. The Descalia, the teaching, the doctrine. Let's go back to Acts 2, verse 42. So we looked at one part. One part was teaching, doctrine. It says that they didn't just devote themselves to the apostles' doctrine, but also to the fellowship. They were devoted to the Koinonia, koinonia, which means, it's translated fellowship, it means an association, a community. So our community is a fellowship, and, and we should be devoted to our community. It means communion or joint participation. The share which one has in anything with the genitive of the thing in which he shares. So what that means is, I don't know if you've heard like timeshare. So we, we could buy a timeshare in Florida. So we buy a condominium in Florida. I don't own it outright. I'm sure, we, we, let's say we all have a part in it. So we own it, we, we share it. So you have it this week, I'll have it next week, so we share it. But we all have an ownership stake in it. That's what koinonia is. So it's something that we share, this community, we share. But each of us individually has an ownership stake in it. It's ours. 
It also means intimacy. It's used of the intimate bond of fellowship which unites Christians absolutely. So as Christians, there's a bond of fellowship that we share which unites us absolutely. That is koinonia. Where does this come from? Where does this bond come from? Let's go back to Philippians 2. We've spent some time in here. Let's go back to it to understand where this bond of fellowship comes from. Philippians 2. And beginning in verse 2, and remember we're looking at these in parts, but not as parts of a whole. We're looking at them as parts as a whole. So each, each part works with the other to make the whole. So we've looked at doctrine. Doctrine is what's in here, what, the, the teaching that we accept. And here now we're looking at koinonia, this, this intimate bond of fellowship that we have. And in Philippians 2 it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. So that the koinonia comes from us being of the same mind. The way we become of the same mind is the teaching. We agree to the teaching. And as we agree to the doctrine, we now have the same mind. And as we have the same mind, that's what creates this bond of intimacy and koinonia. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Again, that koinonia, that full accord. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. And this is what made the early church work. That they were not just interested in themselves, they came together as a community, each one concerned about the interests of the other. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So the koinonia is a, it's a community that we share, that each of us own. And that unity, that intimacy comes from Christ's mind in us. And we, it says here, it's yours in Christ Jesus. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we share the mind of Christ, and in a sense, we own it. Through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit, we all have equal access to it. And this is what creates the koinonia. First John. just come from Philippians, where Paul is asking the Philippian church to complete his joy by being of the same mind. And, and we all have access to this same mind, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at John. 1 John 1, beginning in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So this is the teaching. It's coming to you. So that you too may have koinonia with us. So the koinonia comes from the teaching. So we've heard it. We have the teaching. We proclaim it to you so that you too may have koinonia with us. And indeed, our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son. So we have fellowship with the Father and the Son through the teaching that we received. We give this teaching to you and now you can have koinonia with us and with the Father and the Son. It all comes from the teaching. And we are writing these things, notice this, so that our joy may be complete. The exact same thing that the Apostle Paul said. Complete my joy by being of one mind. And here Paul is saying, or John is saying, I'm writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message, the doctrine, the teaching. We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have koinonia with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, 
we have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we must be devoted to the intimate bond that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. That if Christ's mind is working in you, Sister Lisa, if it's working in you, if it's working in me, then it's the same mind. And so there's a bonding that we're capable of that no one else is capable of. And we all share in it. Let's go back to Acts 2.42. And notice this. They were continuing steadfastly or they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. So fellowship and breaking bread are two completely separate things. I would normally, the way I would have thought of this is breaking bread is fellowship, but it's not. Completely separate. So here it's uh, in the Greek, classe two are two, and it, it means the breaking of a loaf of bread. We have the term in English, companion. A companion is someone you break bread with. Calm with, pain, bread. So companion. So here they were companions. They, they broke bread together, which really means they spent time together. In fact, if you, and, and it's, when we have a meal here and we can sit together and spend time together, the meal is what extends the opportunity for fellowship. So by, by offering food, we actually create an environment for the koinonia. And here, if you look in verse 46, he says, Day by day, attending the temple together, and notice this, and breaking bread in their homes. This is what they did every day. They had meals together. They broke bread, and then immediately after that, it says, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So bread and food. He's using them interchangeably. So when we, share, when we share a meal, we're breaking bread together. And this is something that the early church did in their homes. So they had each other in one another's homes. And that's what I would appeal to all of us, brethren. Let's do this. You know, let's not just have a meal here. Let's extend ourselves and have one another into our homes. We, we really should be a, a congregation, a community that truly loves one another and truly extends ourselves for one another. And we should have absolutely no hang-ups about, you know, I live in a small place, or I, I don't have everything, or, you know, I feel a bit awkward as what will people think. That's all garbage. That's all carnal nonsense. What matters is that we break bread together. We spend time together, and we get to know one another. And this is something that the early church was devoted to. You could say they were addicted to it. And that's what we need to do, that we really extend ourselves for one another. The Greek here, if I just look at this, I think the King James is a better translation. Who has King James? What does it say in terms of, is it, it says singleness of heart? Does it say that? Yeah, so th this is the English Standard Version. English Standard Version says, um, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And I think that's good. They were happy. They were generous. But the Greek talks about singleness of heart. And, and, and the word there um, for singleness is aphalateti. Uh, and, and it just means singleness. So they, had, they, they, they broke bread together. They provided food for each other. They were happy, and they did it with singleness of heart. If it wasn't frivolous, there was, a, there was an intention behind it. And that's what we have to have. Now, look at 1 Peter 4. And, and there's an instruction here with a warning. And it says in 1 Peter 4, 
in verse 8, the instruction is to show hospitality to one another. Again, that's another one of those one another's, Alelon, that uh, Pastor Murray had covered for us. So we are instructed to show hospitality to one another. And then there's this uh, phrase that's added, understanding human nature. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. And, and the Greek is uh, a murmuring. It, it's gongismus. And uh, it means murmuring, low and suppressed discourse. When are these people going to get out of here? <laughs> are they really eating that much? Wow. Nobody helped me with the dishes? All of this grumbling that can go along with hospitality. The instruction is, show hospitality to one another and don't do any of this gongismus. Stop it. Okay? It's our sacrifice to one another. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And that's what we saw earlier, that the whole purpose of doctrine is that it will lead to the stewardship of God's grace. And so whatever gifts we have, let's share it with one another without, without grumbling. That we should just be happy. So what? Any inconvenience. There's a singleness of heart. There's an understanding that's above the fleshly level. We're, 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 we're perceiving things above the material level. And we're looking at it with a spiritual eye. We're looking at it with the mind of Christ. And with that mind of Christ... We're providing food, breaking of bread, so that people can bond together. And the breaking of bread leads to a stronger koinonia. And so it's critical in the process. In fact, I'm surprised it's one of the four points. I'm surprised that it would be up on that level, but it is. And let's look at um, Philippians 2 again. I don't know if it's just me, but it feels warm in here. Is it just me? Yeah, it's a bit warm. Um, Brother Jan, I wonder if you could turn down the air a bit. Thanks. Okay. So we spent our first six months looking at the book of Philippians as a, because one of our points here in Goals is to become a model Christian community. So our objective is to become a model that other congregations could look at and say, hey, we're going to do some of that back in our congregation. That's a really good idea. Or they might say, have you heard what they're doing in Burlington? And it's not a point of pride for us. It's a point of service. That the church is in trouble. And what we want to do is set a standard that is very high, that revives the church. And that the church says, oh, it is possible to have unity. It is possible to have true doctrine. It is possible to really love one another. They're doing it in Burlington. Let's do it where we are. So that's one of our goals, to become a model Christian community. We also have two of our values. One is hospitality, core value. And the other is kindness, core value. That we will be kind to one another. And we'll be hospitable to one another. And so modeling the Philippian church in chapter 2 and verse 14... The instruction to this church, which is Paul's joy, is to do all things. So Peter is instructing us to have hospitality without grumbling. Paul is instructing his favorite congregation to do everything without grumbling or disputing. So again, this sort of argumentative, divisive behavior, it's unbecoming for a Christian. That's not our style. So do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So the whole world shares a culture which is crooked and twisted. And we're renewing our minds. We're not conforming to this twisted and crooked culture. We're conforming to the mind of Christ. And so we do everything without grumbling or disputing. Among whom we shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the world at word of life. So again, this uh, Acts 2.42, this is something that we hold fast to, the word of life. It's that, it's that life rope that if we let go of it, we perish. And so we're holding on to it with dear life. 
so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So that is the breaking of bread together for hospitality. And church, it's wonderful that we have the opportunity here to spend time with one another, but we need to go beyond this. And, and I, I would love to hear, you know, a few months from now, that, wow, you know, we're just constantly visiting each other. You know, one person's over here this week, they're somewhere else next week, they're, they're hosting the following week, and that's the kind of community that we need to build toward. It's a shame that you know, there are many, many churches of God that only see each other on the Sabbath for two hours, and that's it. Right? They have a coffee together and they never see each other or talk to each other again for the week. Uh, hopefully they open the Bible. Right? Who knows? We, we need to be that model that follows the example of the early church. They were together every single day in each other's homes, breaking bread. Let's try to do that. And the final point of this four-point system or formula is prayer. Back again to Acts 2, verse 42. Where it says, They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the koinonia, the breaking of bread, hospitality, and the prayers. So the early church was devoted to prayer. And this, was, this is the fourth part of the system. And prayer, it simply means prayer addressed to God. It could also be a house devoted to the offering of prayer to God. And so that's what we must become. That, that prayer is an essential or a core part of who we are and what we do. We, we don't rely on our own strength. We realize it's God who does everything. And so we're constantly appealing to God for his will and for his strength in order to fulfill our responsibility. And here in James 5, you're familiar with the verse in verse 17, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Just a man like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and years and six months it did not rain on the earth. So he, he didn't have any special strength. He was just like us. But he prayed fervently. And God responded to his prayer. And the early church prayed fervently. They were devoted to prayer. And God responded to them. And so again, we, we find ourselves in the midst of a corrupt generation. We, we are in the end time. Christ said that his authority will be in the end. All authority has been given to him. And he'll be with us to the end of the age. And so we find ourselves in this corrupt age, but we can have the power of God by praying for one another and praying for his will. And look at, again, let's go back to Philippians, the model congregation. Philippians 4 this time. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. That's the instruction to Christ followers. We're not to be anxious. This is a world of stress. Anybody felt a bit of stress lately? Okay. It's a world of stress. It's designed to be stressful. Everybody's on medication for stress. You know, uh, I think the statistic now is something like 40% of people are suffering from some form of mental disorder. This is a difficult society. But if we are connected to God, we're to be anxious for nothing. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we must be praying as a collective body for the work that we have to do. We should also, as the Philippians were instructed, Look not on our own things and our own interests, but every man on the interests of others. So as we are fellowshipping and spending time together, and we learn of each other's trials or difficulties, we take that on behalf of our brethren to our Father. And so it's a community that prays for one another, that suffers together and empathizes together with one another. First Peter 4.
First Peter 4 and verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. So this is uh, instruction for the end times. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So for our prayers to be effective, we have to be sober-minded. For our prayers to be sober mind, uh, effective, we have to be self-controlled. We, we can't be living a double life and then expect our prayers to be effective. So Elijah was a man like us, but he was self-controlled, he was sober-minded, and his prayers were effective. So in the same way, we must do this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. This is the koinonia. Keep loving one another earnestly. Extend yourself, sacrifice yourself, so that we can break bread together. Above everything else, this is, this is our highest priority, in other words. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And when we saw that earlier, that agape requires the existence of others. You, you can't have agape if there's nobody to love. So above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Again, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we control ourselves, we're sober-minded, so that our prayers are effective, we love one another, we show hospitality to one another, and we are good stewards. And then I just want to look at one more scripture on prayer, and that's in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. <clears throat> and, and all of this is in the context of God adding to his church. It's in the context of evangelism. So God has given us this hall, half of it is empty. It's bigger than what we need. So I think God is telling us, well, it's not just for you. There are others that I'm calling that I want to add to your number. But you have to do your part. I'll do my part, you have to do your part. And our part are these four points, and, and this fourth point is prayer. And in Ephesians 6, verse 17, it says... Praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is how we do our evangelism. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. So again, we're, we're, we have a mind like Christ. And we are concerned about the whole church. And we're praying for all the saints. Not just ourselves. We pray for all the saints. And notice this, the apostle who was preaching the gospel, who was evangelizing. He says, also for me, I need you to pray for me as well. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So there is a responsibility to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, but it has to be proclaimed with boldness. And he needs prayer for that. He needs support for that. And it's God who does it. But there's something that we must do. The gospel must be preached, as we were instructed. But it's backed up by prayer. So let's go back to Acts 2 and 42. And again, we're here because we have a mission to work locally to preach the gospel to all nations and to prepare God's people for marriage to Jesus Christ. That's our mission. So, part of it we fulfill right here by the teaching that we are building Christ's character within each of us. And we're preparing for marriage to Christ. But that's just part of the mission. The other part is, there are people that God wants to add. And we have to go out and proclaim the gospel so that God will add them. And that's what we saw here in Acts 2. And the way, that, the way that they did it, the way that they earned their grace from God, was these four parts. And again, it's not four parts of a whole. It's four parts as a whole. It's a system. And all four parts must be, we must be devoted to. Verse 42. 
And they devoted themselves, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they were not just looking on their own interests, each was looking on the interest of others. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with a glad and generous heart or singleness of heart. They, they had purpose in this. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And I, I would see this, brethren, as if we are spiritually healthy, God will be happy to add souls to us. Fragile souls. Souls who are crushed. Souls who are depressed. People who are battered by life. That when they come here, they will be refreshed. When they come here, they will receive the joy of salvation. But we have to be healthy first. And that's, what, that's the whole focus that we've had in our founding. Let's build a healthy community. And let's, let's do that now as we begin to transition and say, yes, let's fulfill our mission to preach the gospel and to make it available to those whom God is drawing. But as we now turn our attention externally, let's not forget that we also have to have this internal focus. We, we have to look out for one another. We have to be a community that truly loves one another that truly helps one another, that truly looks out for one another, so that as God adds to our number, they'll be blessed. The word again that, that kicks this whole thing off, there's, there's a four-point system, four points as a whole, but what kicks everything off is this word, proskar turuntes, which is this commitment, this steadfast commitment to all four points. So brethren, this is what we must do. We must be committed to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the hospitality, and to prayer. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.